Welcome to episode 11 with Eric Zimmer of the One You Feed podcast. Where meditation meets daily life, this is the Meditation Freedom Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the Meditation Freedom Podcast. My name is Siko Road. I'm your host and... I thought I'd mention that once in a while because I don't think I've mentioned that before in the previous episodes. Today's interview is going to be with Eric Zimmer of the One You Feed podcast, a very popular podcast. But before I introduce you to Eric and we move on to the interview, I just want to briefly explain why I created this podcast, the Meditation Freedom Podcast, in case you're new. Basically, the focus on this podcast is to find out from experienced meditators and teachers of meditation why they started practicing in their particular wisdom tradition and how they continue to practice and how they bring that practice into their daily lives and their day-to-day aspects and how it transforms the way they see and the way it's transforming the way they treat others and the way just how they see the world in a different way, how it transforms their relationship with their practice and the people and the world they live in. And so I think it's very important to know and be in touch with the why of a meditation practice, whether that's a sitting practice or standing or walking or drinking tea. I think it's very important to know at the root why we practice, why we engage into a spiritual practice. And especially in the beginning of someone's practice, they may have all kinds of stumbling blocks. And you'll hear in this interview, too, how Eric started a practice and then went on and off. And like with many of us, um, oftentimes it's a stumbling type of thing where you start a practice and then maybe you break it off for a while. And, you know, when things are going really great and then you start it again until something really clicks and you, you go, okay, now I really want to take this practice more seriously. And it's happened that way with me. It took me many years uh, before I've decided, okay, I'm going to take this really seriously. I'm going to be committed to a practice. So I think it's very important to stay in touch with that why and to continue to refresh that. That allows us to practice when things are easy, but also when things are hard. So either way, the practice will then have a, a good solid foundation. And then I also think that knowing why people practice is important for people who are very skeptical. There's good reasons to show why a practice can help and be beneficial, especially for those who got hurt by religion or who distrust all religions based on what they read in the news. There's a lot of harm being done in the name of religion. So I think these are also very good reasons to have a dialogue and a discussion about uh, meditation practice and why people come to a practice. So with that, let's get right into the interview. Eric Zimmer is the host and founder of the One You Feed podcast, and he does it with his friend Chris. The One You Feed podcast was also named Best of 2014 by iTunes. Eric has also worked with startups in daily life, doing management and software development and consulting. And he's also CEO of the Tipping Point Renewable Energy and chairman of Advanced Energy Economy in Ohio. So basically, he's an experienced entrepreneur But he also does songwriting, and uh, it looks like he loves dogs as well. So there's lots of of curiosity in Eric, and you can tell that by listening to his podcast, The One You Feed. 
And in this interview, we'll, I'll ask him what he means by the one you feed so you can uh, get an idea of what his podcast is all about. And I highly recommend you check it out if you're looking for more content to play on your radio or while you're walking or exercising or driving to work. Hope you enjoy this interview with Eric Zimmer from The One You Feed. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you getting on the show. I, I've So far, what I've listened to on your show has been great. I really like how you present it and how you use the uh, the wolf story. And maybe you can explain that in a little bit. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Great. So the way my podcast works is I talk to people and I ask them kind of how they got to a meditation practice or what prompted them to look inward and mm-hmm. and take that journey inward. I'm curious how you got started with meditation. And you mentioned in your podcast, you started a lot earlier. Yeah. So I got introduced to meditation in in high school by a teacher who was just a wonderful, wonderful man who's now passed away. But he was... Uh, in addition to introducing me to meditation, probably the only reason I managed to make it through high school. So uh, his name's Ed. And um, so he he sort of introduced me to the ideas of, um, at least like the ideas of Zen. So I started reading some of the, you know, some, some classic Zen books and I got interested. And then there was a transcendental meditation class. I mean, this was Ohio in the, um, you know, mid 80s. So there were not mm-hmm. a... <laughs> meditation places were not uh, exactly on every corner. They're not on every corner now. Right. But, um, so it was kind of obscure, but I found somebody was doing a transcendental meditation class, and I remember I went and took that that class. Um, the funny story associated with that is I was a troubled youth for sure. I was kind of always in trouble. And for some reason, to do this transcendental meditation class, you had to bring three hanker- three new handkerchiefs. I don't remember the purpose of them at all. Um but so I didn't have any money. So on the way to learning this very spiritual thing of meditation, I shoplifted three uh, <laughs> handkerchiefs and got caught <laughs> for like the only time ever that I got caught doing that. And I just I always think back on that. And I think it's just so ironic that that's kind of what was going on in my mind. So I did that. I did that transcendental meditation and it didn't really um, I did it for a very short period of time and then kind of stopped. Um and then periodically over the next, I don't know, five, six years, it would occasionally come into my mind. Um, I mean, uh, recovery from alcohol and drugs is part of my overall story. So those next five or six years were kind of uh, a wasteland. But mm-hmm. then again, in my, my late 20s, I started getting introduced to the ideas again um, I started looking at, somebody gave me a Jack Cornfield book. And so I started looking at those things and playing with meditation again. And I would, again, I would have some period of where I would sit semi-regular and then I would stop and then I would start again and, and, and go through that. And so it was, again, very sort of inconsistent, but it just seemed to be something that just kept keep kept coming up. I was really interested in it. Um, you know, on your website, I noticed you talk a little bit about, you know, you had all these uncomfortable feelings and meditation seemed to be at least, you know, people would talk about that's a way to handle some of those. And I think that was what drew me to it also was how, you know, how can I use meditation so that, uh, I can better manage my internal state. Right. And, and, and was there, do you remember if there was a specific why, um, 
that drew you to meditation? Like, was there something really irking you in those days? Or Oh, boy, my, you know, my, <laughs> my head in those years, everything was irking me, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think part of what, you know, after I got after I got sober, I mean, I think a lot of it was I was I suddenly no longer had the escape that I had always had. And I was looking for some way to to quiet my brain to find some sort of peace. So I think that was really the that was the impetus was to find a way to at least turn the volume down on my thoughts to a manageable level mm-hmm. and my fe- and my feelings. Right. Um, I'm not sure that that's what I believe about meditation now, but that's what I think that's what brought me into it was that was the promise of that, the promise of some degree of peace. Right. And so how did that then evolve, you know, over the years after your the drugs and the and the drinking and did that did that change that that sense of why you were coming to a meditation practice? Well, then the next, you know, the, I, I just, it tends to be like these chunks I can remember of where I would go back to it. And one was uh, my son's mother and I split up when he was about two and a half. And I was just in a world of pain at that point. I mean, I just was, I was really, it was a really awful experience. And I remember I saw a book by Pema Chodron called When Things Fall Apart, which was just that book was life-changing to me. And so that book really came up, you know, introduced me the idea that I could sort of sit there with these feelings and examine them and recognize they weren't going to kill me and, and do, you know, neither uh, repress them or indulge them, but actually notice them and sit with them. And that was the first time I think that idea ever really hit me. So I got pretty into meditation at that point, um, because I was just in so much pain and I didn't know what to do. Um, I went and did a, uh, a longer, I mean, not that long, but a four day retreat up at the insight meditation center in Massachusetts. And so I was really into it for a while. And, um, but then life got a little bit better and it just kind of came and went again over the, you know, over the intervening years. But about two years ago was when I started to get really serious about it again. Um, and I just, I kept, everywhere I turned, I kept hearing people talk about how they were meditating. And at the same time, I was starting to get exposed to some ideas around better ways to build habits. And so I, I kind of took those two things together and started just, I got really serious about having a daily practice. I decided I really want to do this every day. And I just started really small because what I'd always done in the past was, all right, I'm going to meditate 45 minutes a day and you know, that was 45 minutes a day in my head was no, was, it was terrible. Right. And it was a big so goal, yeah. it was a big goal. And so I couldn't meet it. And then I'd get discouraged and I'd give up. So I just started with two minutes and I was able to build from there pretty successfully. And then a little bit soon after I started the podcast and all that. And, and that has been a very helpful support to the practice also. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, and that kind of leads us into that. I mean, was that part of why you started a, a podcast or was there, something else going on? Well, I started the podcast. I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, everything, you know, if we're going to be thinking about Buddhist thought, right, there's so many different chains of, 
you know, cause and effect that leads to any moment that it's impossible to unpack them all. But the long and short of it is I got interested in internet marketing for a couple different reasons. I just got interested in the idea that you could build a business that was online. I had been building a solar energy company that needed enormous amounts of capital. And I was suddenly very intrigued by this idea that you could start to do something online that didn't take any money. And I was like, wow, that would be a big change from having to go figure out where we're going to get $15 million. Um, So I got intrigued by that. And then I just sort of, I sort of lost interest in it. But during that period, I started hearing podcasts and I started listening to them. And then I don't know where the, I mean, I don't know exactly what happened, but one day I just had the idea for the show. The, the, the parable came into my head and I thought that would be a great podcast. And my best friend, Chris does audio. So I thought I'll ask him to be involved and we just sort of started from there. And I think one of my main, my two main motivations were one was to spend more time with Chris. And the second was to keep ideas of living a, I guess I'll just use the word spiritual life because I don't have a better one. Living a spiritual or, a, or, or more awake life in the front of my mind. Because if I don't keep those things sort of front of mind to myself, it's very easy for me to go to, on autopilot for long periods of time. I'm very busy. I've got family. I've got kids. I've got multiple income streams that I'm always trying to... I'm just very busy. And so right. I can just sort of forget that a significant part of life, a very important part of life happens entirely inside of us. And I forget all about that and everything is outward focused. And then eventually I find myself pretty unhappy again and I repeat that cycle. And so I wanted to just maybe not have to kind of circle around that and just keep that that front of mind. And the podcast seemed like a great way to do it. My audience may not know the parable. Maybe if you're not sick and tired of (laughs) repeating the parable, maybe you can explain it one more time to my audience. Sure. So the podcast is called The One You Feed, and it's based on the, the parable of two wolves, and it goes something like this. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle with each other. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second. And he looks up at his grandfather and he says, Oh, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the parable. And basically what I do is I just interview people that I'm interested in, uh, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, authors, musicians, psychologists, anybody. And I kind of just ask them what that parable means to them in their life and in the work they do. And then I just try and sort of explore their work usually through some lens about how do we create a life that's worth living. Mm Mm-hmm just hit me one day. I, I've known the parable, um, you know, as being a recovering alcoholic and addict, that's a, that parable is very apt, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's very clear um, that it's important. And so I just, I don't know what it was. Like I said, I was sitting there one day, I must've been mulling over podcast. I, I really don't remember it exactly, except I just thought that would be a great idea for a podcast, you know, is to, you know, use that parable as a way to um, ask people about how they keep themselves moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. Has the the responses you've gotten from maybe not just the the interviews, but also maybe your audience, has that changed any of your thinking about that? Um, I think it's I think it's evolved my thinking. Um, 
at least by the time, you know, at least in my case, at my age, I've read so many different things and been exposed to so many ideas that I rarely hear anything anymore that I go, oh, wow, I never even, you know, like that never occurred to me or I've never heard that before. Um, It's a lot more about, I think what I'm getting more and more is the importance of integrating those things into our lives and turning it from something that we intellectually know into something that we actually live and believe. Right. And that t- that's a lot more work. It is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons that I got attracted to Zen practice is because it's one thing, like you say, to understand something intellectually, but to actually integrate that and, and put that into action, you know, even moment to moment, uh, is amazing. That's a, just like a huge difference. There's a big gap oftentimes between what we believe in and our ideals and what we practice. There's a huge gap and I'm always astounded by it. And it's, that's kind of what, where I'm, I'm really focused on in my life is where do I, even noticing that gap to start with and then being able to close it. I mean, there's certainly things on the show that, you know, themes that kind of come up over and over again that, that I hear, and I'm, I'm working to sort of extract those out and, and come up with some of the key things I, I, you know, we hear a lot of. Um, so, but I think the main thing for me has been what the benefit of consistent focused effort on both meditation and on keeping these things in my awareness, what that has done over a period of time mm-hmm. for my, for my overall um, emotional and mental health. All right. Because you mentioned your, your meditation practice, you're using a couple of apps, right? You're using one for gratitude, I think you mentioned, and then another one for the meditation. Yeah, I use Insight Timer for meditating, basically, because it's a timer. And you can set little interval bells like to ring periodically. So if I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes, I could set like at 10 minutes, it just, you know, a little bell in case I'm drifting off. So I use that one a lot. And there's a lot of guided meditations in there. And there's also like a community of people that you can, you see who else is meditating at the same time, and you can send them a little note. So I use that app. I really like that one, but I mostly use it for a timer. And then, yeah, I've got an app, I think it's just called gratitude that I use to to record things that I'm grateful or, or appreciative of. There's actually one other interesting meditation app out there, which is unlike any sort of meditation I had ever really thought of or heard, but it was, there's some type of meditation where you notice when something stops. So like if there's a sound in the background, you're meditating and then you notice kind of when that thing ceases. And uh, so this app is very similar. It plays something to you and your job is to be listening. And when that sound goes away, you, you just tap the phone. And then, so it's an interesting sort of fun way to, to, uh, maybe fun stretching it, but it's an, it's an interesting way to mix up the meditation a little bit and do something that's slightly different. It's called Rewire, and I've just found it to be uh, another little app that I like. It, it sounds like a way to stay mindful of what's going on around you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Very much. And if you don't, I mean, if you're not kind of like, it's it becomes sort of game-like. Like if you're not right on top of it, you know, it, it, you know, it buzzes you or vibrates in you, you know, which is the sign like, oh, I wasn't listening to what was happening. I was off in my thoughts somewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I first met my uh, teacher, he said I had smoke coming out of my ears. And that's how I knew that I had some major thought <laughs> overload and I needed to let, let a lot of that just go and settle down. You know, pretty remarkable for me just to get 
to finally get over that hump of being able to do it every day was a, was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. What would you tell someone who has that, that kind of a problem also? What would you tell, what kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I think the first would be, we already talked about, would be just start very, you know, I, my opinion is it's much better to meditate for five minutes a day every day than every month for an hour, right? right. So, you know, that's, it, it's, so start really small and connect the dots. I think the next one for me was, it took me a long time to put together in my head what was supposed to be happening during meditation. I would hear people talk about meditation in this, like, I meditate and I just feel so peaceful. You know, I just feel so good. And I never felt good when I was meditating. That was not the experience that I was having. And so I thought, I must not be able to do this, or I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that can meditate. Or, and so I finally, hit, I, I know that it had been in all the books I'd read. I'm sure I had been told it before, right? But sometimes you just hear it when you're ready to hear it. I finally got that the point was not, I might not feel great while I'm doing it. Right. But what, what I'm going to do is it's the training of my mind and that ideally it's going to help me in the other, you know, 23 and a half hours that I'm not meditating. It's going to, it's going to contribute. And so I just started thinking about it like mental hygiene, like brushing your teeth. I was like, you know, when I brush my teeth, I'm not sitting there going, this was a boy, boy, what a great teeth, toothbrushing session that was. I mean, I really got that back molar. I mean, I'm, it's not <laughs> the way I approach it, right? I just do it every day because yeah. I know it's a good thing to do. And sometimes I, sometimes I want to do it. Other times I don't want to do it, but I pretty much just do it. And so when I turned that, when I turned meditation to that and I just gave up any expectation mm-hmm. of a particular state or experience, it, it totally changed the game for me. That was when I really, again, it doesn't mean that I suddenly have great, you know, it's not like I gave up and suddenly I started having great experiences. It's just that my expectations got in line and I didn't fight it anymore. I I wasn't disappointed in it. I didn't think I was doing it wrong. You know, to me at this point, I try and stay very far away from any thought about how the meditation really was. Or how it should be. Right. Did I do it? Did I spend the time? It's very, it's just very very practical that I sit down and do it. And some days I sit there and I do it and I have some measure of peace or, you know, I, I, I get some, you know, what feels like a, my mind is a little bit quieter. Other times it just runs completely crazy. Other times I'm half asleep, but I just keep trying. And that really changed it for me more than anything that and doing a small amount and slowly building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that case where the person was saying it's always peaceful, they're, they're kind of, they're not being totally sincere if they've really practiced it a lot because that that doesn't make any sense even you know it's just like right. the weather there's sometimes there's clouds sometimes there's thunder and sometimes it's a clear sky you know and yep that's how our mind is yep yeah and i think it just was i just heard people talk about meditation in such glowing terms that when my experience with it didn't feel similarly glowing i thought there was um you know, there was something wrong. And then, and then what I just kind of got, I also got away from the idea that my mind was supposed to be clear or that like to, to your point that anything was supposed to happen. And I started realizing that what I wanted, somebody, I heard an analogy that was really helpful to me and somebody described it as, you know, if, if, if you imagine a waterfall, there's a little space between the rock behind the waterfall and the waterfall. And if you imagine standing in that little space and watching that water rush by, 
that's that waters your mind and that's what meditation is is just noticing what's happening there mm-hmm. and that for whatever reason that analogy really clicked for me and i went oh i see you know i'm just noticing thinking you know oh my foot hurts i mean i'm just paying attention to what's happening trying to stay in that in that moment right i was gonna say and i also the the thing that finally that worked for me is i sort of changed Breath meditation tends to be the predominant type of meditation that a lot of practices are based on. And I changed that a little bit for me, where what I do is I try and be very cognizant of what I hear and what I'm feeling in my body. And I just try and notice those as they come. Um, and so if I, my mind wanders off, I try and bring it back to what, you know, what, what, what is there for me to hear right now? Or what sensation is there in my, in my body. And that really seems to work better for me than the breath piece ever did. I don't know why I I just, that never was, this just seems to be a better method. I don't really know why. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll modify that at some point, but it's more of a, just sort of that. I think it's sort of similar to, uh, Zogen, which is, um, sort of just an open awareness is, is kind of the way I think about it. Right. Right. Kind of being receptive to everything that's going on. Yep, but unlike you know, unlike you, I don't have a lot of, um, you know, I don't have a teacher, so I, I kind of wonder. I do try and go twice a week here in Columbus to. There's a Zen Sangha, and then there's a Shambhala Center, and I try and go to both of those and sit with a group of people because I really like that. There's something oh, I great. like about it, but I don't have a. You know, I don't have a formal teacher that I'm 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 checking in with, and that's something I'll, I I may um, you know I may examine it at some point. Right now, I'm just so ecstatic to finally be really consistent with it that yeah. that I'm just kind of going, all right, something's working. I'm just gonna I'm gonna run with it for now. That's great. And have you noticed anything in in outside of the meditation, like you know that it informs about your day, or that it that it changes the way you look look at things or your relationships with things? Yeah, I think so. I think the biggest you you, you mentioned uh, Viktor Frankl, and I think it was Viktor Frankl that had the line that said, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in mm-hmm. that space lies all our human freedoms. And the the best way I can describe what meditation does for me is, I think it puts a little bit more space between stimulus and response, mm-hmm. and so I'm more able to. I find myself more and more able to notice my reaction and I don't tend to be a person I'm not one of those people that like my reactions are always outward like you say something to me and I immediately yell back I tend to process inward but there's still a reaction there's a stimulus and I have a thought about it and I'm getting better at at I'm getting more space to to sort of question what that habitual response is do I really feel that way you know is that true is that the way I want to react I'm just I seem to be getting that awareness to question my own thoughts seems to be coming up a lot more. And then I think the other thing that I notice is ability to um, sit and appreciate something that's pleasant a little bit longer um, and a little bit less um, judgmentally. An example would be when I used to go to California I love California. I used to live there, but it's been a while. But when I would go back, when I would see the ocean, the very first thing that would start happening in my brain was attachment, right? Like, I, why don't I, I got to live here more often? Or how can I get more time at the ocean? Or God, this is, you know, it, it, and now, now I'm not enjoying 
being at the ocean at all, right? I'm, I'm right. scheming for how can I get more of it? I'm, I'm immediately out of the moment. And I've noticed on my last couple trips out that way, how much more present I just was with sort of enjoying it, noticing it and not clinging to it. I just, there was a, I had a very different response to it. And I think, I don't think meditation's entire, it's, it's hard to sort out what causes what, but I think meditation certainly plays a, a significant role in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that reminds me of Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, I think, therefore, I'm not really here. Does that mm-hmm. sound familiar? <laughs> oh, it sounds very familiar, yeah. And that's, you know, I've noticed that a little bit during meditation. I start to have, like, I don't know, I, more of a non-thought experience or just something is different. And the minute I think that, it's done, right? <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is, you know, it's, and so, yeah, a very, very similar thing. But I think the the primary thing I've noticed is just a little bit feels like I've got a little bit more space in my thoughts and I can interrogate them more often and more regularly, which I think is an enormously helpful skill in life. Right. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned on one of your episodes, you talked about depression and how some mm-hmm. people with depression listen to your show. Do they have do they talk about what they're bothered by or, or how your how your show show helps them? Yeah, I, um, you know, one of the, like I said, the, the goals of the show were initially were pretty modest. I wanted to spend more time with Chris and I wanted to keep, you know, positive ideas in the front of my mind. And both those have been achieved very happily. What I was not, I mean, I certainly hoped that people would care about it, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I, I was, I've been taken a little bit by surprise by how much people have liked it and the amount of email I get from people saying just how valuable it is to them and how helpful and um, you know iTunes voted as one of the best shows of new shows of of 2014 which was just blew me away and so I'm yeah that's one of the things I love about it is how many people are are responding to what we're doing and find it helpful yeah that's wonderful yeah it really is I'm curious too about your your job too. You you got into solar energy, and what brought you? I mean, what um, philosophically or you know brought you, or maybe your heart, something in your heart that brought you into that direction, where you're doing something, uh, you know, for the planet. Well, I'm not doing so much of it anymore. The company is. I'm actually trying to sell it right now because um, I live in Ohio, and there's a bunch of things that happen in Ohio that have made that a less than optimal place to build a solar business. Um, just a lot of a lot of the, the regulation that makes solar really work in California or Massachusetts. Ohio passed a lot of that similar regulation and then promptly started rolling it all back. Oh, um, so that's been sort of a frustrating ride. You know, I'm not sure. I think that I've always had a desire to, I've always had a desire to do things that feel meaningful to me. Um, you know, I started a nonprofit tutoring program when I was in high school for inner city kids. And so I've always wanted to do that. And then I, but I spent a lot of years, um, early in my career in software startup companies and, um, I loved the work. It was really interesting and compelling and fun and fast paced and intellectually challenging and the people were great. So I loved it, but I did feel sort of like, all right, there was the work and then there were the things I would do outside of that, that were a little bit more, um, personally meaningful. And so with solar, it was, a, I just got interested in it. Um, 
you know, I just found a book at the library and I'm always, I love the library and I just see something I'm like, that looks interesting. And I started reading and I was like, wow, this is a, it looks like a great business opportunity. The time is finally here for this and it's important to the world. And so I was really excited about marrying those two things together. Um, you know, I'm not enough of like a, uh, an environmental advocate that I'm probably out or I, or that I am out doing a lot of work on that specifically just on, in a volunteer basis. But I really liked the idea of combining something that I knew really mattered with, uh, something that I knew would be f enjoyable to do. I love building things and starting things from scratch. And so it was a great experience. Unfortunately, like I said, it's just the, we had a few really good years, but Ohio has become kind of a, um, a rough place to, to keep doing that. And honestly, the, that felt like an evolution towards that, but now doing the podcast and some coaching work that I've been doing and all that feels like that's the next evolution towards even more tightly integrating um, what I, what I'm spending effort on in the world from a work perspective and that deep personal um, meaningfulness. Yeah. It sounds very purposeful to me. Yeah. Yep. I started very, you know, the podcast, I did not start with really that ambition, like, Oh, I'm going to build this, this thing's going to become anything, but it's kind of taking on a life of its own to some degree and which I'm very happy about. I'm finding that, Oh, I, I love it. I love doing it. And, uh, you know, I'd love to be doing more of that type of thing. So things are kind of moving in that direction. I also do e-commerce e consulting for, um, you know, large, um, you know, fortune 500 companies. I do, I do some of that also, which again, I love doing from it's intellectually stimulating. The people are great. The challenges are there. Um, but it doesn't at the end of the day mean a whole lot beyond, um, what kind of what it is to me. Yeah. So you're seeing the direction of the podcast. That's, that's where your future is going to go somehow. I would love to see more of the, you know, I've got a family, we've got, you know, responsibilities. I'd love to see more of the income that, that, that fuels that more of it come from that, that direction and less of it from some of the other thing, you know, the, the, the consulting work I do and other things I would I'd like to spend more time in that direction. Um, I'm not really at that point where I'm trying, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I love doing it so much and it means so much to me that I don't want to turn it into like this thing's got to make money so that I can, you know, right. so I'm just very patient, but we are starting to see sponsorship opportunities. I'm starting, you know, I was starting to get requests from people like would I work one-on-one -on -one with them. And I sort of said no for a while. And then I've started doing that um, now. And, and so it's, it's moving in that direction, but I'm, I'm in no hurry, but that's the direction ultimately. Sure. I'd, I'd love to see it get to the point where that was, really where the bulk of my time and energy went. Yeah, that's that sounds great. Well, maybe you can tell my audience where they can find your podcast and any other websites or Twitters or things you've got that you want to share. Sure. I mean, if you go to our website, it's oneufeed.net, and that's spelled out O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net. And uh, you can find the, the podcast there and contact information. It's all pretty much pretty much there and i think on twitter we're just at one you feed so again spelled out so pretty easy to find great and i'll i'll make sure all the links to that are in the show notes excellent well it's been great talking to you uh, thank you so much for joining us oh thanks so much for having me on i, I love i love what you're doing it's so i think it's so helpful to 
to put meditation out there in the kind of way that you're putting it out there is really, really useful. Well, thanks so much, Eric, for that last comment. I really appreciate that encouragement. And I hope anyone listening enjoyed the interview as well. You can find the show notes for this interview on meditationfreedom.com slash 11. And I'll have a link to the podcast that he has and as well as any other links. Well, next week we're going to be talking with another practitioner of meditation. And he is also a filmmaker. And it's interesting to see how he got started to practice. It's kind of funny, a funny story. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy that the next episode and tune in again next week with that i wish you a great week a wonderful rest of the evening or day wherever you are and take care thank you so much for joining us on the meditation freedom podcast where meditation meets daily life